Welcome to episode 101 of George's Random Astronomical Object. Every episode, I run a random number generator to select random astronomical coordinates in the sky, and I then search for an astronomical object near those coordinates and talk about what makes the object so interesting to astronomers. So, let's now run the random number generator. The random number generator has returned the coordinates of 12 hours, 32 minutes, 4.2 seconds right ascension, and negative 16 degrees, 11 minutes, 46 seconds declination. These coordinates point to the star Eta Corvi, which is the sixth brightest star in the constellation Corvus. This constellation represents a crow, and indeed looks very similar to a crow if you think a crow is shaped like an irregular quadrilateral with a very short tail. Eta Corvi is located just next to Delta Corvi in the upper left part of the quadrilateral. The star has a magnitude of about 4.3, which means that it's faint but visible without a telescope from a dark location with few or no lights. Eta Corvi is classified as an F-type star which means that it's similar to but slightly hotter, slightly brighter, and slightly larger than the Sun, but otherwise fuses hydrogen and helium in its core like the Sun. It's located at a distance of 59.49 light-years, or 18.24 parsecs. So it's kind of close, but not really close. The age of the star is between 1 and 2 billion years old. So while it's not as old as the Sun, it's basically a star that finished forming a very long time ago, so nothing exciting should be happening. It would seem to be rather ordinary, except that it is surrounded by a disk of dust. And that disk has attracted a lot of attention from a lot of professional astronomers. The first hint that Eta Corvi had a dust disk was when the Infrared Astronomical Satellite, or IRAS, a 1980s spacecraft that performed relatively crude infrared observations of the entire sky, detected excess infrared emission from the Eta Corvi star system. Although it wasn't until the 1990s that people noticed that the data showed this. One of the issues with dust surrounding stars is that it does not emit light in the visible part of the electromagnetic spectrum. Dust does reflect, or to use the technical term scatter, a little bit of light from the star itself, but the light from the star is so much brighter than the light scattered from the dust that it's really hard to see the dust at all this way. However, the dust disk will also absorb starlight in the visible part of the electromagnetic spectrum and re-radiate that energy in the infrared part of the spectrum. And that infrared emission can be relatively bright compared to the star. The infrared band can be divided into roughly three parts. The near-infrared, which is close in wavelength to what we see with our own eyes, the mid-infrared, which is in the middle part of the infrared part of the spectrum, and the 
far infrared, which is really far away in wavelength from what we can see. Beyond the far infrared, the wavelengths of light actually get close to a millimeter in size, and astronomers refer to this radiation as either submillimeter or millimeter radiation, depending on whether the wavelengths of radiation are shorter or longer than the millimeter. The reason why I'm talking about this is that dust in space radiates in different parts of the electromagnetic spectrum depending on its temperature. Mid-infrared emission comes from dust that is somewhere between roughly 100 to 300 Kelvin, or somewhere ranging from slightly warmer than liquid nitrogen to the temperature of a nice summer Earth day. Dust emission in the far-infrared, submillimeter, and millimeter bands comes from dust at much colder temperatures that could reach as low as 10 Kelvin, or colder than the temperature at which hydrogen, in the laboratory on Earth, would liquefy. After learning that Eta Corvi might have a dust disk, which is technically referred to as a debris disk, Astronomers repeatedly targeted the star system with all sorts of infrared, submillimeter, and millimeter telescopes in attempts to not only detect the emission from the dust disk, but also to image it. If you recall, I described the images from IRAS, which were made in the 1980s, as crude. And Eta Corvi basically looked like a blurry dot in the data from IRAS, as did most of everything else in the universe. In 2005, a group led by Mark Wyatt published the first images of Ada Corvi's dust disk, which were made at submillimeter wavelengths using the James Clerk Maxwell telescope. Subsequently, people made other observations at mid-infrared, far-infrared, and submillimeter wavelengths to either get data at more wavelengths or to try and make better images. The best images that I have seen were published in 2017 by a group led by Sebastian Marino based on submillimeter data from the Atacama Large Millimeter slash Submillimeter Array, or ALMA. The ALMA images revealed the presence of a flattened ring of cold dust orbiting the star at a distance of about 152 astronomical units, or AU. As a reminder, 1 AU is equivalent to the distance from the Earth to the Sun. This ring is thought to be in the location equivalent to the Kuiper Belt in our solar system, which is where short-period comets like Halley's Comet come from. However, our solar system's Kuiper Belt has a radius of only 30 to 55 AU, or roughly one-quarter the radius of the ring of the cold dust surrounding Eta Corvi. Anyway, the ring of cold dust in the Eta Corvi system is thought to be formed by comet-like bodies colliding with each other, thus producing lots and lots of small dust particles that end up spread over a wide area and that can therefore emit lots and lots of far-infrared and submillimeter emission very efficiently. However, astronomers have found much more mid-infrared emission than what would be expected in a star surrounded by a single ring of cold dust. This indicates that the Eta Corvi system also contains warmer dust, and it is most likely that this warmer dust is located within an inner dust disk. While it is easy to explain where the ring of cold dust comes from, it's really hard to explain where that inner disk of warmer dust comes from. It's clear that this inner dust disk is not a disk of gas and dust left over from when the star formed. 
the star is simply too old for such a protostellar disk to still be present. It's also a little difficult to explain the inner dust disk as forming from lots of colliding asteroids or lots of other colliding objects within the inner parts of the star system. As a reminder, the Eta Corvi star system is over a billion years old, and everyone expects that, in the inner parts of any star system, the orbits of everything will have stabilized after that amount of time, and planet-like objects will have stopped colliding with each other. What is more likely is that some sort of gravitational interaction between the outer dust ring and one or more planets that no one has seen yet is transferring dust and possibly comet-like objects from the outskirts of the star system into its central region. This could supply dust to an inner dust disk, and it's even possible that a larger object transferred from the outer dust ring to the inner regions of the star system may have hit a planet orbiting Eta Corvi at a distance of around 3 AU, and such a collision could have kicked up a lot of extra dust in the inner part of the star system, thus producing the dust disk that we see today. It will be interesting to see where this research goes. I look forward to finding out whether people can produce an image of the inner dust disk that is as good as the image of the outer dust ring, or if they can find planets in the star system. So that's my summary of why astronomers like to look at Eta Corvi so much. And the location on your surface corresponding to the position of Eta Corvi in the sky is a place in the Pacific Ocean about 245 kilometers south of the island of Upolu in Samoa, or about 190 kilometers east of Nyuatoputapu in Tonga. Most randomly selected locations in the Pacific Ocean seem to be literally hundreds or thousands of kilometers from any landmass, but this location has a lot of stuff nearby. Aside from islands in the nations of Samoa and Tonga, it's also possible to find islands in American Samoa and the single island of Niue, which is its own country. It's actually kind of easy to picture the ancient Polynesians being able to sail back and forth among these various island chains. Unlike other parts of the Pacific, like Hawaii and Rapa Nui, where you really wonder how anyone ever found those islands before the development of high-altitude air flight and satellites. The website for this podcast is www.randomastronomicalobject.com. You can go to the website to download episodes of the show, read information about the astronomical objects, view images of those astronomical objects, look up additional reference information, and send me random feedback. The audio was recorded and edited by George Bendo. The music is Immersion by Sasha Hendy at www.sasha-hendy.de. And the sound effects are from the Freesounds Project at www.freesounds.org. Thanks for listening.